0: It's called the Radiopotami app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at Newstalk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: James Chernowski. Is a contributor with Young Voices and the Senior Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. He's our guest now. We're talking about the Twitter files. Ooh, I want to play the X-Files music to this thing. But uh, I, what, 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 what were some of the big discoveries so far?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I think that when you're looking at the Twitter files, what, <clears throat> what you're really seeing uh, is a company that had a lot of internal strife going on. Uh, when it came to how to handle the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, and ultimately, they made the wrong call. They decided to go and restrict access to the distribution of that story and sharing that link, even going as far as restricting the ability to send it via direct messages between users, which is something that's usually reserved for really rare cases, like trying to prevent spreading child pornography. Um, so it was obviously very extreme measures that were taken and basically, over the course of the time since that story dropped, you know, you're learning more about what, what exactly the company officials were thinking behind closed doors. There was a lot of disagreement over whether or not this was actually the right move, whether or not, you know, this is even right. And to his credit, you even had current Representative Ro Khanna from California, who represents Silicon Valley, uh, emailing the company and asking, hey, you know, is this okay? It seems like it's violating First Amendment principles here, like, and he's no, he's no center-right fan, per se. It's just something that's, you know, it, it raises a lot of very interesting questions as you're looking at what's going on here uh, with the Twitter files.
1: I, I can remember a few years ago, you had a lot of people online talking about shadow banning and they were being called crazy, and lo and behold, this kind of thing actually was happening. So Twitter was stopping certain things from trending and just stopping things from popping up on the newsfeed?
2: That was certainly something that we saw getting reported on last night from uh, that was um barry weiss who who was covering that portion of the Twitter file drop and basically what what was going on there is that you see like the companies they have basic trust and safety practices that they employ um, what we don't know is like why those particular things were attributed to those users. they might have been violating existing rules of the community and then therefore those certain kinds of tags were slapped on them in general. What it, what it really runs up to is just that I think what Elon's trying to accomplish here is he's trying to, you know, turn the page here with the Twitter files and show what he thinks the company did wrong so that way he can go and run Twitter and his vision and hopefully turn the page and have something that's better than what it has been in years past.
1: Joining us on 710 KURV is James Chernowski, a contributor with Young Voices and the Senior Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. Davis Rankin, your question.
3: Yeah, one question I want to get to before we go away is why is this important? But uh, if I understand this right, shadow banning, well, first explain shadow banning. And this has been alleged by conservatives for a long time that Twitter was blocking, essentially blocking their access to uh, to the Twitterverse. Um, and this seems to bear it out. So um, what what is shadow banning?
2: Yeah, so shadow banning is basically a term that's used to describe uh efforts that are taken to reduce the distribution or spread of content from particular individuals. So with respect to this Barry Weiss one that was dropped most recently, um, you know, you saw a little tags that showed the, you know, reducing uh trending, blacklist trending or something to that effect. And basically it was deprioritizing that content relative to other content that might have been uh on the platform at that same time. And that's basically what is coined as You know shadow banning if you will um again it's a pretty standard practice if you're looking at trust and safety from the perspective of you know you might have people that are continually violating the different terms of service in the community and you're just trying to put something out there uh to limit that rather than taking a more excessive action than let's say suspending their account or you know completely removing it all together
3: what was the name was it barry weiss
2: yeah, Barry Weiss was the reporter that was covering this. Uh, her and Matt Taibbi uh, are the independent you know, reporters that are trying to uh, cover this uh, Twitter filing right now.
3: She had worked for the New York Times and left because she said it was hostile for her, and she's conservative. How conservative, I don't know, but enough to where they banned her, I suppose. Zach,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. She she did used to work for the New York Times. Now she's a uh, c- civilian journalist, if you will. Um, same with Matt Taibi. I think that's part of his uh, Elon Musk's broader push is that he wants to support uh, what he calls uh, civilian journalism or citizen journalism, mm-hmm. I think was the term he coined. Uh, but yeah, so he it's getting covered right now by those two people particularly.
1: James Chernowski is the Senior Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. He's a contributor with Young Voices, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. We're talking about the Twitter files and basically all these revelations that have been happening in the in the past several, several days for uh, Twitter and how they've been handling the exchange of ideas and information. And so you, you had mentioned there there were actual conversations behind the scenes as to what they could and could not or should or should not uh remove from i guess by using the algorithm to put out on the on the news feed uh what what was the what were the two extremes on that one and why why what conclusions were they coming to
2: well in in the case of the hunter Biden laptop story when you're looking at the original uh twitter files reporting by matt taibbi that was all centralized upon the the discussion was about the hunter Biden laptop story and it was basically they decided to take it down under the hack materials policy, and what was the conversation going on behind closed doors was whether or not you could actually stand behind that decision, how are you messaging that to the public, and why, and what tools do we have that we can uh, employ if this is the decision, and you know is that actually the right thing to be doing? Again, it was, uh, it was something that there was a lot of internal strife about, and part of the reason why is that when you were Twitter, and 2016, you had you know Russian, uh, uh, certainly some Russian agents were trying to engage in interference. Then in 2017, you had leaked materials and hacked materials that were unleashed on social media uh, during the French presidential election. And because they didn't take the right kinds of actions, then I think that the company on average was just on edge, so it put them in an impossible position because no matter what they were ultimately going to do, no one was going to be happy. And that's exactly what ultimately happened here.
1: Do you have optimism about the future for social media with all these new philosophical discussions that we're having with it?
2: Yeah, I I try to be optimistic no matter what when it comes to to technology. I think that on average, technology has been a great force for good in terms of being a conduit for people to express themselves, not just in the United States, but around the world. So that's that's a really powerful thing. And I think that while I think there's a lot of good conversations that are happening right now in the long run, There's plenty to be, you know, positive about when looking at this space. I think that it's very bright future still. All things considered.
1: I wanna I wanna ask you about something that happened here in Texas. I know this is a little bit off topic, but this has been this is starting to pick up a little bit of steam. Where the discussion is about how uh, age limits on uh, on social media. Somebody has introduced a bill that's coming up in the. I can't remember if this was a national or a Texas thing, but they're they're talking about eighteen years old. That's the cutoff. You have to be eighteen years or older to to start using social media. Do you think that's going to be a uh, something that's just going to be pushed to the side, or do you think that uh, this is something that a discussion that might pick up?
2: I'm sure that it's it's going to be a discussion uh, that's going to continue to happen in terms of how to look at protecting children online. Uh I've I heard about the bill, I saw it earlier today, but I, I obviously have not read any legislative text, so I can't really comment for that specific bill. Um but what I would say as a general point of order is that we have to be very careful about when we're looking to regulate online spaces, um, even with kids. Kids have certainly uh had some, you know, issues online, but I think that ultimately uh there's also a lot of benefits to being online too. So I think that we have to be very cautious about how we're drawing lines here when it comes to looking at protecting children online and making sure, most importantly, that we are empowering parents uh, with the necessary tools at their disposal so that they can make sure that they're providing a safe environment for their kids when they're operating technological devices like an iPhone or something else for that matter.
1: Very well said, James, very well said. Thanks a lot for for stopping by and breaking it down for us. James Chernowski, contributor with Young Voices and senior tech and innovation policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: It's time for a check of the citrus industry, especially since they had taken some hits in recent years. But we'll see how things are going right now. We welcome to the show Dale Merton, the president of Texas Citrus Mutual our guests on your nine five six drive home so we had a big freeze and then we had a big drought where do we stand right now on citrus dale
4: well don't forget the hurricane that we had so we've kind of had a trifecta Uh, but Mm -hmm. actually we're back in business and harvesting what looks to be a really good crop this year
1: what have been some of the challenges and fears so far since the winter storm about this particular crop
4: you know, it, it's weather, weather, weather. For us, it was that, that hurricane in 20, then the freeze in 21, and we've had lingering drought, so we've got some water level concerns. Uh, not much you can do about the weather except just hold your ground and try to do the best you can with what you've got. But uh, we're harvesting away. We started harvest this year in early October, and things are going really well so far. Davis
3: Rankin, your question. Um when uh florida got hit twice by uh, storms one more powerful than the other um i would be lying if i said i don't know where the citrus belt is in florida where the citrus growing areas but they had to all be affected what what did it what have they reported what happened to their crop and how does that affect us
4: yeah of course Florida's 90 percent juice fruit and about 10 percent fresh fruit that okay. second hurricane was the one that probably came closer to their uh, east Coast fresh fruit side of the side of the equation but they're hurting they, they're really hurting between the effects of greening disease and hurricanes yeah. one after another uh, those folks are really on their heels and we feel for them
3: well, when they when when uh, since juice, I guess people should know we grow or you want to grow for fresh market because that's the best price. You go to the you send your fruit to the juice plant as a just to, to get whatever you can get. I don't know if that pays their expenses or it's just or or what. Uh, so the fact that they're mostly juice fruit that doesn't really affect then. I guess our fresh fruit price,
4: right? You know, the the markets have been really really holding high for so far for this season early on. Uh and yeah, it does. It it correlates. The important thing to remember about Texas growers though is they're spending the money to grow the fresh crop. If it's, uh, yeah. if it some if a portion of it goes to juice, that's just bad news for a Texas grower because we've already spent the money to grow that fresh crop.
3: Okay. And um all
4: right. Well, I guess in other can, words, can, there's not there's not much we can do about it. We're already trying to keep it as pretty as we can for the consumer.
3: Yeah. The uh, uh, yeah. Is there much call for f- grapefruit juice as distinct distinguished from orange juice? Ever thought about? You
4: know, it. It, 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 there's actually an um, inventory shortage right now. There's just very oh. very little juice inventory. Uh, Florida, Texas combined, uh, they're scrambling for juice products right now. So uh, that's a good thing down the road. You know, that helps bump the price up as well, supply and demand.
1: Dale Merton is the president of Texas Citrus Mutual. He's our guest on your 956 drive home. We're getting a look at the state of citrus Mm. right now after some real bad weather Uh, Affected some of the crops, but things tend tend to be looking up. So, what can we expect over the next several months for citrus?
4: Well, hopefully, good quality grapefruit on the shelves again, oranges as well. But, you know, about 70% of our crop is grapefruit and the other 30% is oranges. So, you know, we we tend to call ourselves that Texas red grapefruit, uh, sweeter grapefruit industry that we are, that we've known for and enjoyed for a long time.
1: What is the ratio of, remember, so me, um, myself in particular, let's speak for myself, I, I don't know a whole lot about citrus and the citrus industry and the whole chain of from the tree to the store. How many, how many stops is on, that, is on uh-huh. that route?
4: Well, that's actually a great question, I like the way you put that. So, you know, on the tree, you plant the tree, it's going to take you about five years to get the crop growers putting all his expenses in it till he starts to see some income so from the grove then you you know you go to the harvest crew to the packing shed what we as growers tend to call the pick pack and pedal phase uh you know they're going to pick it they're going to pack it and they're going to pedal it for us and get it into the consumer's hands as quickly as they can
1: i got a question how long does all that take oh yeah
4: Well, harvest season here starts late September, early October, and can run as long as as May. So, you know, five, six-month harvest season. Uh, This is what a lot of people scratch their head after the February 21 freeze. We actually had two crops growing on the trees. So in February and March, we're blooming. Our trees are starting to flower and bloom and grow next year's crop. So that particular freeze not only hurt that following crop, but any crop that we had remaining on the tree at that time
1: how do you how do you differentiate what goes into the juicer versus what goes out onto the marketplace
4: well it's all strictly graded at the packing shed level and you know blemishes can affect you uh sometimes size just overall external quality for the main part could kick it over to the juice plant industry runs probably 60 70 percent fresh and the rest juice you know we can't grow 100 percent juice down here with our tropical breezes some people like to call it we just have external blemish quality problems sometimes uh, that wind scarring that, that a lot a lot of people call it. Uh, it doesn't hurt the inside it just hurts the external ex- appearance and on the shelf so that'll go to the juice plant
1: about yeah. how many uh, let's say oranges does it take to make mm. your your typical <laughs> jug of fruit juice
4: yeah, well that's complicated because then you're talking gallons and tons of solids and tonnage and, and that's uh that's not a <laughs> exact science for me.
1: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh Dale Merton is the We're president math, of Texas man. Citrus Mutual, our guest so on your 956 Rifle. I was just <laughs> I, I was just trying it. to imagine like eyeballing how many oranges you would take to fit in there. Uh Davis Rankin, go, go ahead. ahead with your question. Uh who is uh where who is our greatest competitor for the
3: fresh grapefruit market we're mostly grapefruit here right i mean we, we we think ours is better i think it's better so who's our biggest competitor
4: well uh you know florida still commands a pretty good market on their fresh grapefruit but the davis mexico uh they're they're coming on strong with uh growing regions and and their grapefruit uh and things like that mm-hmm. so so that's uh uh, kind of hmm. bites into into markets worldwide and even domestically at different times of the year so that's Mexico's probably my biggest uh, competitor at okay. this point Size well, don't wise
1: how do we size, I'm sorry Davis um, Size wise how do we compare with Florida and Mexico respectively
4: Well in regards to Mexico it's hard to get a good number I, I get changes in numbers from increase to decrease all the time as far as the nation Uh, We were the largest growing grapefruit, fresh grapefruit growing uh, in the country prior to the freeze. Now, following their hurricanes, I suspect that we're probably getting back to our number one in the domestic market status.
3: Where's, Where's Mexico's citrus region number one? And number two, I thought some of it was right across the river.
4: There there are, but further down south, Michoacan's got a substantial uh, planting wow. uh, from some reports and just, just further down there. Oh. Uh,
1: huh. Well, um, you, Why have don't a, the, you have a rosy outlook for uh, citrus yeah. for our region then, huh? To, to something's up, Dale.
4: You know, David said it. Our quality beats everybody. Our bricks levels, our sweetness ratios, just uh, are Incomparable, and, and so we look forward to uh, competing on on a quality level anywhere uh, I think I think even my my counterparts in Florida and California will tell you our grapefruits better
1: well I, I uh, Dave and I and all of us here wish for a very bountiful crop for, for the next That's one right. that comes on out. It, uh, thanks for your time as running. usual here with us. Uh, Dale Martin, the president of Texas Citrus Mutual, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Here in the Valley, we're getting ready for a different kind of football, college football. Headed our way, Uh, we welcome to the show the newly announced head coach for UTRGV Vaqueros, Travis Bush uh, welcome to the show tell us a little bit about yourself and and uh, wh- where you come from
6: Hey uh um appreciate you guys having me Uh yeah mm-hmm. um coming home you know um been uh, been growing up uh, in and around the valley and i uh, been a south texas boy and uh, um you know been blessed to to be at a lot of places, coaching and, and the opportunity to recruit down there, and and now to have a chance to to come back and uh, and lead this program, it's uh, it's very humbling and and um, very honored. Uh, so I'm I'm excited. Can't wait to get down there and get to work.
1: Tell us about your your love for football. How far back does it go?
6: Well, I tell you what, the the very first football I remember is actually um, in the early '80s uh, in Forest San and Alamo, when my father was a head coach there, and. And uh, starting kindergarten and first grade down there, and, and going to those mm. football games uh, when they were just packed. You know, every town just had one school, and uh, and then growing up around South Texas, the support uh, the people the the valley has for for football for the high school teams. You look at the North game last week, uh, and, and the way that they all rallied around. PSJ North, and I've said for years, boy, if the Valley ever got college football, this thing's going to blow up. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, looking forward to it, and, uh, and can't wait to, to, to see the outpour support. Uh, without, without
1: giving too much of it away, because I know some of this has to be uh, secretive, but plans for UTRGV right now in order to develop a, a strong, solid foundation for, for a team, what needs to happen right now?
6: Well there's so much that needs to happen. I mean we we've got to you know you build everything from the ground up and and you know the first thing is uh hiring personnel and staff and and every piece of the coaching staff to every uh every um uh, support staff member, you, you've gotta, you gotta order every piece of equipment from a college football program and then you start talking facilities and, uh, and over the, the next year and a half, you know, you, you start a recruiting foundation and, and start recruiting some first classes in there. So it, it's, it's a long process. I'm familiar with it. You had the opportunity to do it before. Um, excited about the the leadership in place here. Uh, Dr. Guy Bailey, you know, Chase Talk and just, uh, this, this team they've put together the plan we have right now it's uh you know it's set up to do it better than anyone's done it before and and um so it's it's a long process it's exciting but uh, you know we're going to blink in 2025 we're going to be kicking <laughs> off at H-E-B Park and uh, and there will be a live college football in the valley
1: that is very exciting we're joined on 710 KURV by the first head football coach for the new UTRGV Vaqueros Travis Bush, Davis Rankin, your question. Uh, my my
3: question is where with uh, with uh, say the SEC and um, Alabama, Georgia at the top. Um, uh-huh. or, uh, where does UTRG? Where are they going to fit into all this?
6: Uh, there's no telling. I mean, that's what you look and you go back and, and again being on the original staff at UTSA in 2010 and, and yeah. not having any idea. Uh, what that was going to be, um, you know, no conference, no, you know, no plans really. And then you you look at what they've done now in twelve mm-hmm. years, and uh, there's no telling. And now you look at the, the plans we have, the facilities, um, the leadership, the you know the 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 way it's set up. There's no telling where this thing can be in in ten, twelve years. So. Um, that, that's the exciting part. And, and that's another thing, uh, that makes this, uh, you know, such an intriguing job and, and what, you know, to be in on the ground floor where this thing can take off in the, in the next few years. It's, uh, there's no telling honestly, but, um, but huh. can't, can't wait to get going. So what you're saying is that it's
3: not, it's not inconceivable that UT, <laughs> uh, UTRGV could whip, uh, Alabama. And, uh, and and make make their head coach uh, as unhappy as he was this this season. So,
6: which would be a good thing in my view. Well, we'll we'll hold off on scheduling Alabama for a little while, but uh, we'll we'll get some games under our belt first. Ten four. But uh, yeah,
3: yeah. UTSA really did take. I had a friend who played football there. He he left to pursue studies, but uh, it was intense, and yeah. they seem to have done very well in a short period of time. What's the secret?
6: They did. Um, really, you know, goes back, I uh, thought um, I thought we did a good job of recruiting tough 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 kids. And uh and at at that time again, not knowing where we were going to be, it was it was guys that just wanted to play college football. Um it wasn't about uh mm-hmm. it wasn't about facilities 'cause we didn't have any. It wasn't about um conference and level. We we just got a bunch of guys that uh that had a chip on the shoulder to play college football and uh and really really helped us get some success going early um and and when that that first crew that we um uh, that we signed when they were juniors and seniors were those first couple winning seasons they had and really helped help kickstart some things and and uh kind of get some recognition across the nation and then as the facilities started coming in and um and and then more recruits started mm-hmm. coming and, and then they started jumping conferences and it uh it just kind of took off so uh again where where can we be where what 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 can we do with this thing in the next few years is uh, is really exciting.
1: Yeah, and you're right. That time is going to fly, and and you've got you've got lots to do. And we thank you for taking some time out of your busy busy day. Thank you uh, to speak no, with no, us here no today. Problem. I'm good. We hope to have I lots more conversations down there. with you. We hope to well, have more conversations with you about uh, team developments and things like that in the near future. But otherwise, thanks for stopping by and spending time with us, Travis Bush, the first head coach. Thank for the football program at UTRGV, hitting up the Vaqueros team, our guest on Newstalk 710 KURV, your 956 drive home.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 drive home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at six. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AcuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family.
2: Good morning, good morning, <laughs> gentlemen. Good morning, guys. For are watching enjoy the show. It's what you
0: need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at six on News Talk 710 K U R B. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Lots of talk about social media and TikTok in particular. There's a new bill out from a bipartisan group of lawmakers. Ooh, that would ban TikTok in the US. The the tone of my voice is like, wow, they finally they finally agree on something. That's fascinating. Joining us on 710KURV to uh, talk about this on a more serious note, the the cybersecurity part of, of TikTok and where these concerns are coming from. Andrew Sternkey is a private investigator and the CEO of Juris Disputes and in- uh, Investigations. He's assembled a team of some of the most experienced investigators in the country. He's also a cyber threats expert, our guest on your 956 drive home. So we're, we're, with uh, TikTok here, where do we start on security threats?
5: Yeah, so I'm, you know, clearly with you. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, I'm glad that it's a bipartisan effort uh, because it, it it is a, a dangerous concern. Uh, there's a reason why uh, I don't use TikTok. My team doesn't use TikTok. Um, we don't have our clients using TikTok uh, just because of the various um, uh, data dangers uh, regarding the fact that the data is all going over to China uh, governmental
1: agencies. This this is kind of an innocent question, but uh, I still feel like it's important to at, at least the, the general audience that doesn't understand how any of this works. But what what's the difference between us sending our data to China versus the American companies that are taking all of our data?
5: Well, I mean, it just basically comes down to, at least with U.S., Uh, companies, um, you know, there is ability for our government uh, entities, you know, the Justice Department, law enforcement, or whatnot, to crack down on U.S. companies if there are issues of data privacy and data security. However, if there are concerns with data privacy and data security um that is completely controlled by Chinese governmental entities. Um, there's nothing that we can do.
1: And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, our guest on seven ten URV, it's Andrew Sternkey. He's an expert on st- uh, cyber threats. Davis Frank, in your question uh, Well, me being
3: older than Zach and a literalist, can you explain what what kind of data they get and is it known uh, what what they want? And then finally, what they might use it for.
5: Yeah, so, um, I mean, the, it, it, it's all sorts of data. And exactly what parts of it that they use, uh, you know, we're not sure. But um, but I can tell you the type of data that they collect. Uh, they collect, you know, all your basic information, your age, um, your birth date, your full name, you know, your geolocation. They can... Pretty much pinpoint, you know, where exactly you live, uh, your family members, um, you know, what type of sites that you frequent, what you're into, uh, and so based on all that, they can really create a full, uh, intelligence report on an individual and not just individuals, but, um, large demographics. And in that way, there's tons of ways that you could use that, um, intelligence from, you know, tweaking things to, you know, sending various demographics, um, you know, specific ads or whatnot to affect voting, uh, to affect uh, people's even their emotions. Yeah. If they see something that makes them happy, they're happy. If they see something that's sad, it can make them sad. So, um, so really, having all that data is, is really endless. And, and if it's you know for nefarious reasons, then um, that that's a large concern. Is,
1: there, is is TikTok the only foreign app? Uh, that, that they're particularly worried about? Or is this the, or I guess I should be asking, if, if this potentially, if, if it were passed, would set kind of a framework to address problems like this in the future?
5: I mean, it definitely would, um, you know, uh, with this framework put into place, it, it would help things in the future because, um, you know, TikTok is probably the most popular social media uh, platform, uh, you know, for especially for the younger generations. And um, because of that, uh, you know, we, we definitely need to have a bipartisan effort into really diving in and looking at um, the data privacy concerns for uh, U.S. citizens.
3: We, we, I think it's known that the Russians, I'm not sure when it was, uh, that uh, Vladimir Putin's former cook was put into um, a business spreading rumors on the internet. Um, People would come in, check in, clock in, and then sit down and just invent stuff. I don't know where they posted it. I don't know anything, but but it was spreading disinformation, spreading chaos, I suppose. Uh, Is there any evidence the Chinese have done that? And this kind of information would allow them to target, if I understand target their disinformation campaigns if they wanted to do that.
5: Right. Um there there has been some evidence of that. Um you know, obviously I'm I'm in the private uh, investigation sector, so yeah. um you know, I'm not a military anymore and I don't have that sort of um intel, but 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 I have heard that yes, they they have used uh specific things to target.
3: Why why then are we just letting was I uh, I'm not, a thousand questions go through my head and they all bang together at yeah. once. So what
1: should yep. we and do? And they're all very similar too. So we apologize yes, exactly. if, if they sound redundant, but what should we do? <laughs>
5: President Biden um, called you and I, said, I, what should I, we do? I just highly encourage people to stop using TikTok. You know, we already have uh, several states starting to ban uh, TikTok mm-hmm. use on uh state-owned devices, Uh, you know, already the DOD and other uh, federal agencies had already banned uh, TikTok on this. And, and, you know, it's a tough thing because it's a very popular app. Um, But, um, you know, it's something that we need to be aware of because, you know, the best way of getting intelligence, Mm -hmm. this is what we do on the um, investigation side, is is we use a lot of social engineering and... um, you're able to gain a lot of information. So if you're a platform such as TikTok, where you're just downloading um, just gobs of data and you're basically storing it, um, mm. it's a real you know national security concern because think about it: every young kid right now, they're eventually going to be you know the next congressman, senator. So what if they're doing something stupid on social media? Can that be used <laughs> later for blackmail purposes by? Um, you know, overseas governments. So we just really have to be careful of, of what we're uh, sharing, as far as our data if, is concerned.
3: If you no, just you're look
1: absolutely at, right. Yeah,
3: that's if you just look at a video, do they get your data?
5: Yes, because 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 they're they're able to see what type of videos that you're into, um, you know, and, and they can really start um, figuring out what type of person you are. Um, and and it's just you know those are all aspects of social engineering that um, can be used for you know some profiteering things like on the consumer side, pushing you to buy certain uh, products you know and that's what Facebook and uh, Google and Amazon does. Or it can be used for nefarious reasons um, by overstate actors.
1: Should we have stronger data, I guess, protections and a stronger framework for these sorts of things, not just for TikTok, but for all apps in general? Since we're, you know, we're just coming in the wake of all of these, uh, I guess, Twitter bombshells that have been dropped there, where they were, in fact, doing things that they said that they weren't doing. And now we're just kind of suspicious of everybody. And I don't know, where, where do we go from here?
5: Right. I mean, and, and, and it's good to be suspicious. You know, I've got, you know, a couple of my team members that are bona fide hackers and, and they're extremely suspicious. Um, I mean, the, the the big concern is that, you know, right now we, we are truly going through a cyber revolution, um, you know, regarding data. And it is really the wild, wild west right now. Um, and so we really need um, every citizen's efforts to contact, um, you know, the government Um, elected officials to really start modernizing uh, what data security and protection really mean. So requiring Mm -hmm. all these various companies that are just downloading all our personal data to like somehow automatically delete data, you know, after so much time rather than storing it. Um, So, so, so that's one step. Um,
1: The the following question.
5: Oh, Go go
1: ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought. Go ahead.
5: Nope, <laughs> I lost. Of there.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. the The question, the question that was sent to me from a friend: What about links to TikTok videos? If you don't have the TikTok app or the account, how much data are they pulling in from you there? Versus if you have an account or if you have the app.
5: Well, I mean, they're able to see um, basically uh, where that view is coming from now. Who specifically? I mean, can they narrow it down to what specific individual? I don't think so, but I don't know. But a great way to um, create a mask of uh, anonymity for yourself is to always use a VPN. Even if you're surfing on your cell phone, use a VPN um, plug-in to, you know, surf on the web. Uh, and, and, hmm. and also so it's not a scam. So, the so VPNs line is are not a scam. A VPN. So VPN, private network.
1: VPNs are not scams, then, right? It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a God. conspiracy theory, right?
5: Right. Uh Right. So basically, it just gives you a new address that is not uh, geolocated, like your typical um, IP address that that you would have if you did not use. A uh, VPN, which is a virtual private network.
1: Oh, man. I want to have another conversation with you about VPNs because there's a lot of stuff. He'll, uh, he'll questions be calling you those. after the program. Hey, thanks a lot for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. I know we had some strange questions. Andrew Sternkey is an expert on cyber threats at Juris Facta, uh, our guest on News Talk 710 KURV or 956 Drive Home. You're
0: listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store. From your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.